What about uh, that Heisenberg fella? High school chemistry teacher. You're shitting me, really? Walter Hartwell White, chemistry teacher over at J.P. Wynn, working with a former student, current meth head, one Jesse Pinkman. Uh, what else about the teacher? He has lung cancer. Jesus. That's why he can't quit with the coughing. How bad? Stage 3A, he's in treatment, more tests to come, but it doesn't look good. Now listen, even if this guy was gonna live, I wouldn't go near him. He's a complete amateur. Well, you see an amateur, I see... 170 pounds of clay ready to be molded. Well, if the cancer doesn't get him, it'll be the cops or a bullet to the head. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. Today's episode, I think it's just going to be this conversation, Sona. <laughs> I'm on vacation and I'm not uh, <laughs> partially on vacation, partially on vacation. Probably not going to be able to put in any additional content into here. But I think this particular episode of Better Call Saul, which was called Breaking Bad, that's the name of the the title of the episode mm-hmm. is going to be sufficient for a whole, uh, unlike last week's episode, I think there's going to be plenty, plenty to talk about in this week's episode. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> so let's get into it. All right. The first thing I forgot to bring up last week, but not only have they changed the naming standard for this season of show where they were you know, putting this and into every single title, we kind of broke that mold last week by calling it nippy. And now it's being called Breaking Bad. And by the way, they've released the other two titles, which are interesting, especially considering the way things end up in this particular episode. We were thinking this might not be a dark ending for Saul, but uh, we were <laughs> thinking. <laughs> it's it's such a reversal from last week, by the way. And I think we got to get into that as part of uh, really. But I just wanted to let you know the titles because unlike previously, where they like do not release the titles until like the day before or or so. They have released not only next week's title, but the final title. And next week's title, which is, by the way, written and directed by Vince Gilligan. So one of the few episodes. That's of, a weird title. It's called Waterworks. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that would be a very <laughs> weird title. Very good point. So it's okay, actually called Waterworks. <laughs> called mm-hmm. Waterworks. And it is written and directed by Vince Gilligan. But the last episode written and directed by Peter Gould, mm-hmm. who is the showrunner for the show. And all the way back from Breaking Bad was the main writer for the Saul character, but basically his invention. So he's been able to own this character throughout this entire show. This episode is called Saul Gone. So does that mean... Oh. So we, we will have to see... I love the pun. <laughs> pun right? Okay. So the first thing, once again, that I wanted to get into was, and it began last week, not only did we change the naming motif for the season, but did you notice that we didn't get the usual Better Call Saul intro? We had that weird thing where the VHS is, it like starts playing the music and then the VHS like stops and then rewinds. Yes, I did notice that. Um, and I'm wondering, is this somehow related to the black and white world, I guess? Is there yeah. some consistency in when we see that? I, I don't think it's happened with the other black and white episodes, but it's interesting that they did it. It wasn't like a one-off last week. They've done it again this week. So I wonder what they're trying to explain with that. It's interesting because it seems like it's rewinding at the end, but I guess the show is not rewinding at that point. It's actually fast forwarding. Fast forwarding. Right? Mm, so, good point. So, Or maybe it is a fast forward. Maybe I'm misreading. Yeah, that. maybe it is a fast forward. I hadn't even really picked up on that. 
All right. We open with Francesca. <laughs> I guess she <laughs> she's now a landlord uh, and uh, or maybe always was. And she had some really annoying tenants. Mm hmm. <laughs> what do you think of this scene? I mean, there's nothing important here, I think, thematically, but it was entertaining. <laughs> it was entertaining. I agree. It was, especially um, the idea that she's too stupid to know that they're putting putting weed down the sink or whatever. You know? <laughs> right. <So. laughs> they're like, it's just regular sink stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also like the fact that I just. Everybody does that. <laughs> I also just like the idea of her being a landlord for some reason. I mean, I've known so many people who are landlords. That's kind of like their main, um, you know, career paths for mm -hmm. some people. And I just find it very entertaining that just on its face, like Francesca is the worst kind of person you'd want to have a landlord, but also the type of type of pragmatic person who would think that it's a very good investment, yeah. <laughs> but not really the right temperament to be a landlord. <laughs> Uh, we do see here, I mean, she calls it out specifically when she gets onto a phone call in a few minutes, but we do see, interestingly, the show does show William Oakley has now become a defense attorney, and we actually see a bench with his uh, advertisement yes. on it. It's interesting that they draw our attention to it two times here, so I don't know if that's going to pay off in some later episode. Yes, and very funny, the little exchange the second time, right? Switch sides. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Francesca is extremely paranoid. We're in the black and white world. With good reason, it yeah. seems, right? Yeah, at first I thought she was just being overly paranoid, but then we actually hear her conversation with Saul. Yeah, assuming what she's saying is true. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she could just be paranoid, but which I think that- It's possible. The show does leave that open to interpretation, but mm. I think it's important either way, right? If you, Whether you feel like it's the heat's that high or whether it legitimately is, it doesn't really matter <laughs> in the end, right? Yeah, it's like that thing about being paranoid, right? Just exactly. because you think everybody's watching you doesn't mean that people aren't watching you or something <laughs> it doesn't mean like it's that. Not true. I'm exactly. really fracturing it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then she shows up at this abandoned gas station where they still have these uh, phones. Do we, I don't even know if these phones still exist anymore, to be honest with you. There used to be, I remember when I lived in Weehawken, they had like one on the corner, which seemed to be like the last remaining you know, quarter, toll, whatever you call it, um, phone booth. I feel like every year I see a story about them removing the last remaining payphone in New right. York City, but I feel like I've seen that story every year for the last five years. So <laughs> maybe they just keep finding them. <laughs> hey, we missed one. <laughs> Somebody go get it. <laughs> there must have been so many of them at some point, right? That yeah, you know, I guess for sure. like, you can't even track them all down. And Saul has picked this abandoned place to not only uh, be like his communication point, but of course he has also hidden away some funds here for, I guess, to bribe whoever he needs to uh, when he needs to have some funds. I guess it could just be funds. Like, I mean, theoretically, he could just drive down there and at least get his, his hands on some money if he needed to. Yeah, it was interesting to think, like, how did he arrange that and when did he arrange that? Right. And I actually made me think about how long it takes to drive from Nebraska to Arizona, which I, I mean, Arizona, I should say, New Mexico. A while, obviously. A while, yeah, it must be. But yet is doable in the fact that, for example, if he did need to, you know, cross, go all the way down there, he could probably do it like in, in a, a very long drive, right? Like a two-day drive or maybe even a one-day drive. I mean, I know people who have driven to Florida in a day if they <laughs> really set their minds to it. <laughs> <laughs> if they don't sleep, yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> if you have some meth, and of course, these people do have meth, so there's not a problem with that. I mean, he's got nothing but time, right? I assume the Cinnabon leave policy is generous enough that he can step away for a couple of days if he needs to. So Francesca picks up the phone just at 3.01, exactly when she's about to leave. The phone does ring and she does decide to answer it. And he has left some money behind. And he, of course, usual 
thing with Saul. He has to have a very intricate place that he's placed it. And did you ever notice, <laughs> based on his description here, that she needs to move the New Jersey-shaped concrete block, mm-hmm. which he also describes as Alfred Hitchcock with a fez on. Have you ever noticed that the New Jersey map looks like Alfred Hitchcock with a fez? I'm not sure his assessment is correct there. I am not sure either. I mean, I guess I kind of understand the fez, but why the rest of it would be Alfred Hitchcock I mean, I have to take a closer look. I did agree the rock seemed to be shaped like New Jersey, though, once he moved in. <laughs> yes. It's more the Hitchcock thing. I think he's thinking about, remember the old Alfred Hitchcock presents the silhouette? Yep, yep. So yep. he has like kind of like the man's face and then the big belly, which I guess New yep. Jersey does look like that, but then has, you know, he has the pointy head. So I guess you'd have to put a hat on there. Never thought about that, but I guess that is Saul's perception of it or the whoever wrote this episode's perception of it anyway. Right. <laughs> she gets paid. She gets paid ahead of time, even though that wasn't their original agreement. And he basically gets into this whole long conversation. Actually, I have a lot of notes on this conversation. He's very curious to know how hot does it still seem to be? She says, well, they're still following me. I hear clicks on the phone. Once again, a lot of this is paranoia, but I'm sure some of it is still legitimate. And he mentions the fact that, oh, he thought things were going to cool down once the maestro had died, which I guess that's Walt. That's a reference to Walt dying, Walter White. We find out where he had hidden a lot of his money, right? He says, are all uh-huh. the blobs gone? Are the laser tags? <laughs> and the laser tag. So he owns some laser tag places. I guess all things like amusement parks are actually good places to hide cash, right? When you consider about how many of those little transactions there are. And vending machines, another great way to hide cash, obviously. But apparently they found all of them, including uh-huh. Air Fish, which was a corporation that I guess a shell company that he had uh, offshore, that he had put in Francesca's name <laughs> and Francesca mm-hmm. obviously didn't even know about this. So she just like turned it over to them. She goes, I don't want to have anything to do with this dirty money. And I don't blame her for that. We also find out here that Skylar got a deal. Mm-hmm. A little catching up on mm-hmm. Skylar. They found Jesse Pinkman's car at the border, which yep. they kind of, that was part of El Camino, right? Right. No? Yeah. So I think yeah. it's pretty, okay. yeah. I mean, I, I guess we don't know which way direction he's driving in, but I right. assume he wasn't going to Canada considering where he is. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he throws in there just at the last minute. He goes, oh, and how are you? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and in the middle of that, there is that very funny exchange where, like you mentioned, that she goes, oh, Bill Oakley, by the way, switched sides. And he's like, oh, he came out. And he's like, no, <laughs> he's a DA. <laughs> and of course, the last part is, you know, as she's about to hang up, she does give him one little tidbit, which, of course, is what she knows he really wants to hear, which is Kim called asking about him. So gets- Well, I mean... What about you? How are you doing? I'm just great. Prince Rainier proposed that private jet is taking us to the palace on Thursday. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess that's it. I did get one call after everything went down. Kim. Checking in on me. No kidding? Mm Mm-hmm. Your name came up. Asked if you were alive. She asked about me. What did you tell her? Nothing. But she asked. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I guess this is goodbye. Uh, hello? And he gets a little bit of 
hope from that. Mm-hmm. And then we see him driving away. This kind of beautiful black and white photography once again, just like perfect little crossroads in the middle of the desert. I guess it's not the desert up there, right? He's up a, it's like a snowbound desert. It's pretty funny that we've seen all these sandy, barren landscapes mm-hmm. throughout the course of In black of these- and white, it almost looks yes. like Francesca yeah. and Saul could be yes. in the same town. Yes, it, it, I was. that's exactly what I was about to say. And it's kind of fascinating that he's ended up in this other very barren type of location, even though, like you mm-hmm. said, it's- the snow and the sand kind of look the same, even mm-hmm. though they're obviously very, very different. So he's at this intersection, kind of a motif we've seen previously on the show as well. These kind of like these barren landscape with a particular intersection. But he goes back to that phone <clears throat> and he makes one more call. And we find out that uh, Kim Wexler is working down at Palm Coastal Sprinklers. I guess she's a, a salesperson or a manager down at, you know, I, it doesn't seem like a very prestigious career she's put herself on, but I guess she's just trying to lay low. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully we do find out a little bit more about Kim uh, before the show is up. But my question for you is my, my, one of my first questions I have, have here is, what do you think about this decision to not allow us to hear their conversation? Oh, so frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I assume that, you know, we are still going to find out more. As long as we find out more, I'm okay with it. If we never hear anything about Kim again, then I'll be frustrated. I agree with that. Like if this is the last time there's any kind of exchange, then that would be very frustrating. Yeah. Not only do we see that he has a a very energetic conversation with her, but as she hangs up with him, I assume she hangs up on him. We cut finally back into the phone booth and he is freaking out, right? Smashes the phone. That's not good. (laughs) Kicks in the window. And this is where things get interesting. We had this whole conversation last week where I had seen Saul try on the old skin, right? Mm -hmm. At the department store. And I had kind of read that as being, you still got it. And you kind of read it the same way, only that you kind of sensed that he was really hanging up the uniform at the end. In a way, I was convinced by your argument because I started feeling like if the show is going to give us multiple finales, maybe this is one of the finales. This is him hanging up his uh, Saul persona. And I really- I mean, I was hopeful. I was hopeful. (laughs) No, and I think that that was an interesting uh, way to read it. And I thought that it made me feel more positive about the direction the show was going to go in. But it was. <laughs> yeah, it did not go well at all. It actually went the other way. Okay. In fairness yeah. yes. to my yeah. interpretation, yeah. we do find out, right, that he's out of money, that he thought he yes. had all right. this money and now he doesn't. So, in defense of my <laughs> argument, right. there was some external factor that drove him to return to the scams. But there, you know, a lot happens in this episode that is not defensible. So, <laughs> oh, yes, it's a really bad look for him. <laughs> Out of yeah. all the things that we kind of generous ways, some people break. just need to find a good therapist, you know, and like work <laughs> through this stuff. <laughs> oh, he has obviously never worked through any of his stuff, that's for sure. And actually, that's kind of like the button on the episode that I want to ask you about also. The reason I wanted to bring up your interpretation again is I don't think the sh- I don't think what you're saying was a misread. I think that that show almost as written could have been the end ending to this show. I think intentionally. Mm-hmm. I think intentionally they are basically giving us a possible ending to the show. I still got it, but that's not me anymore, right? And he's just yes, kind of like- Yes, that's not my life now. And I really do feel that given the last moments of that episode, that that is 
in the episode the way you're supposed to read it. So I think you read it correctly. <laughs> but like you well, said, thank you. Things, have, things, have, <laughs> things have changed a lot between this episode and last. And all that kind of positive possible, you know, a coda that the show could have had, uh, I don't think it's going to happen anymore. So. Mm-hmm. Same. And now, once again, like as a complete reversal to last week's motifs, the careful way that he's crafting the Cinnabons, which he seems to like take some pride in, even though like he is using them to obviously seduce the security guard and everything in that episode. But you really do feel like he has kind of gotten into his groove. We replace that imagery with him just staring at the mixer, mm-hmm. <laughs> being like, I'm going to stare at this mixer for the rest of my life. This and, life is going to kill me. Yep. <laughs> and he's not okay with that. <laughs> that's not mm-hmm. anymore. That's not okay with him anymore. But also at this point, I can't remember exactly when it happened, but We've already seen the little color clip of the Breaking Bad universe, right? We don't actually return to that until there's a few more minutes before we get back to that. Oh, sorry. Okay, I jumped the gun. Okay. No, but but not quite because I missed something, but you're absolutely correct. We see at the beginning of this episode, just for a moment, where he is basically with the sack over his head inside of the Winnebago. So it teases right, it. Right, that's very- what I meant. Yes, yes yeah. that's what I meant. Yeah, so mm-hmm. we basically, they tease that at the very, very beginning of yes. this episode, actually. And then we do return to that, you know, kind of like the aftermath of that scene, which we have not seen basically before. Uh, and that is coming up actually right after this sequence that we see where he's back at Jeffy's house. He mm-hmm. sees that Jeff has bought his mom, Carol Burnett, back again, a computer so she can look at mm-hmm. her funny cat videos. Cat videos. Say, mm-hmm. gotta, everybody loves cat videos. <laughs> <laughs> And Jeff thinks like, oh, you, I'm sorry. I didn't spend that much money. I'm not, you know, I'm trying to keep a low profile, et cetera. But that's not why he's there. He's there, like as I've teased out in that previous point, reignite his con persona because he wants, what does he want? That's my first question for you. Is Does he have a plan or is this just I, he wants money? I think he is spinning out a little bit because he's more cash poor than he expected to be yeah. or just plain poor. But he does seem to have the the scam constructed in his head, right? Because he already has put together the idea about the overnight shift at the taxi place yeah, and the barbiturates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think he already, at this point, knows what it is he's going to do. And this is very interesting, the first scam that we see, because like you said, he mentions to Jeff that, you know, take the nine to six, take the overnight. We see him then in this new persona of his Victor, yet another persona. <laughs> Well, this is what I was trying to remember, though. Wasn't it Victor and Giselle in Albuquerque? Oh, you might be right. Yes, you might be right. I forgot that that was his name back then. Yep. I think so. So really just reawakening. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> back to his, his partner in crime. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Kim analog here, a partner in crime. And uh, in this case, the scam is obviously very different. Uh, Victor shape. and Kim. Sorry. Just an aside. <laughs> oh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> Although it's Victor and Giselle in that case. It is, yes. Which is probably why it never occurred to me before. <laughs> Good point. And he's had so, had so many names on this show now. I just think about how many times he changes his name because of all these mm-hmm. scams. And we see him doing the worst karaoke version ever of uh, Brandy, oh right? Goodness. Brandy, you're yes. a fine girl. <laughs> but very, very bad. <laughs> Which I yes. think is obviously intentional. He just wants to make stuff look like the biggest schmuck imaginable. Uh, or a worm on a hook for <laughs> exactly this, this con yes. man. This I found maybe the most interesting thing about the whole episode is how he picks these whales to go after because this first guy that he uh, scams, and I'll I'll break down the actual details of this scam. It's basically identity theft. 
is like truly like he has looked far and wide for the biggest jerk in the world, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You gotta believe in yourself, little buddy. <clears throat> Come on, let's do one more bet. One more bet. One more bet. No, no more. No more lemon wedges on my nose. No more trick coins. No more toothpick puzzles. I- I'm not good at this. Victor, this is an easy one. Now. You grab the hundo before I do, you get to keep it. I grab the hundo first, you buy another round. Only rule is, you can't move until I move. Yeah, but I'm, I'm so much closer to it. It's like giving me the money. So you wanna take the bet? Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> Another round, good man. Once again, courtesy of my little friend. All right, all right. (laughs) (sighs) And this guy's just like the biggest douche (laughs) I could imagine. Mm -hmm. Has set him up to basically get drunk with this guy, let him take advantage all night long, and then he sends him out to get a cab. And then even that, you know, winning the bet on the cab is like so (laughs) obnoxious. Um, you know, sends him off with Jeff. Jeff has put the barbiturates into the free water bottle that he gives the guy. And of course that knocks him out. He puts a little piece of tape uh, on the door so that the door closes behind him and, you know, but is left open. His brother or friend, whatever that guy is, uh, shows up with his dog. I don't know why he brings the dog. Probably not a good idea, in my opinion. I was thinking the same thing that, man, this is a very peaceful, calm dog that does not bark in a new place or any of that but it's also good cover by the way because i know sometimes when the dog has to go yeah you gotta get out in the middle of the night i've seen people out and about in the middle of night even in the city right just wandering around with their dog so it's it it is a good cover but this is a very well-behaved dog so it's exactly where he leaves them i did think the dog was going to be like a you know like a a plot hole but uh, not a plot hole i should say but like a uh chekhov's dog Um, yeah yeah. yeah, it is a weird thing like why why bring the dog (laughs) Yes, just, yeah, exactly. just why? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Other than, I mean, he always has his dog with him, so I don't think that that's his plan. But I do think that, like, someone walking their dog, even at five o'clock in the morning, really seems a lot more innocent than just some random guy walking around at five o'clock in the morning. Putting that dog in the house just seems like a bad idea. I right. That's what I'm saying. I guess, luckily, they know that these guys don't have any kind of cameras in their house, or maybe that's back in the day. I mean, this is probably taking place in this fictional world at least 10 years ago. Maybe it wasn't as commonplace, but. And they get inside there and they basically take pictures of all their cards, all their identities. They look for bank statements. They look for passwords. And of course, they sell all of this information off to these identity thieves for a lot of money, I would assume, uh, especially considering these guys are all very wealthy. They can actually see their actual bank statements, et cetera. And like uh, Saul is saying, you know, like they get paid up front and then it takes months before the money starts disappearing from their accounts. So it's kind of a perfect crime for them because they can kind of disappear by the time they connect the dots on how this could have possibly happened. I'm sure that night of drinking is probably well out of their minds. Right. And then we see that first dialogue sequence flashing back to the Breaking Bad world. And this is pretty interesting how it ties into the ending of the episode. (laughs) First of all, what did you think about seeing Aaron Paul (laughs) trying to play a 19-year-old? That was rough, wasn't it? (laughs) It was really rough. I mean, really. Oh, my God. Like, I, there were times I was kind of like, I I feel like the whole face of his shape is the shape of his face is different. Like, uh, weight gain or what? I don't know. But um, 
like I kind of did a double take to be like, is that even Aaron Paul? He looked so different to me because I haven't really been keeping up on Aaron Paul's life since right. Breaking Bad. I mean, I think they did the best they could with the caps and the shadows yeah. to yep. try and obscure this situation. But listen, like this is what we signed up for. We just got to go along for the ride, yes. suspend our disbelief. You know, there's only so much they can do. Time passes. Yeah. <laughs> it was my biggest concern with all of this because I have the exact same com complaints mm -hmm about the El Camino movie, right? Because the last time we saw Aaron Paul, who had already aged like five years or so on the show, he was already beefier. You know, he just kind of, your body changes from when you're like in your early twenties to your late twenties. Uh, but then all of a sudden you can go back to revisit that timeline uh, in El Camino. And he's been like, uh, he, he's definitely bulked up even physically. I don't even mean like stockier. I mean, he's actually probably lifted weights since then for some of these action roles that he's taken. And I just find it very funny it's just like this guy was supposedly like chained up for like a year. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, looks like he's been working out every day <laughs> and put on like 10, 15 pounds of muscle in the meantime. And, you know, of course, age significantly, which maybe, you know, being locked up for a year would make you age, but it still is just even, <laughs> even that's a problem. But now we're like, what, three or four years past that movie. It <laughs> just not convincing, let's say. And I also, I mean, this is just be nitpicking, but I also thought his performance doesn't match the Jesse Pinkman. I agree with you. And then I chalked it up to me not really remembering Breaking Bad well enough, but I agree his personality definitely seemed different than it was in Breaking Bad. <laughs> you know, it's limited in what they could do, but I did feel like even Aaron Paul is probably not doing a great job of, or the directors or whoever of getting him to. Yeah. Like it seemed, I'm trying to put my label, put a label on it. It seemed like too confident maybe. Yes. Yes. Exactly. I mean, like not needy and insecure enough or confused it, enough or something. Exactly. I mean, it's just, he just comes off as being much older, right? Like older, you think about yes. Breaking Bad, <laughs> traveling back to that moment in time, he is supposed to be 19 years old or so, right? He's like right out of high school at right. that point in the show. And like you said, he is even more obnoxiously confident in the show at that point, more so than he is later on where he kind of is subdued to some extent. But like you said, it's cockiness. It's not confidence. It's cockiness. It's like acting like you know what you're doing when you even yeah, have no yeah, idea yeah. what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And like you said, he's just, he has too much gravitas at 30, whatever yeah. he is, 35 <laughs> to pull it's that like off. Grown you know? man. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. So it's really, really like, I know I'm spending a lot of time talking about it, but it was distracting in no, a way that I like Walter White the same. was not. So yeah. I, it's interesting to hear you say that because I put it on myself that, oh, I must not remember the dynamic between this characters as well as I thought I did, because this does not seem like the same relationship that I remember. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, they try to minimize it. And like you said, they try to put him in the shadows there at one moment where they turn the lights off. But I feel like if you're going to underuse him this, this much, because it's so problematic, they should almost just have him and Walt interact. Although I guess they wanted to have that moment in the desert. So, and of course, Jesse's there. So... Now, this is interesting. You know, he asks about the whole Lalo thing. Who's Lalo? And I thought this was going to be a really interesting scene, the conversation about Lalo, but he pretty much shakes it off right away. But the other thing that's interesting is he notices that Walt is very sick, right? Yes. And then the last thing I want to bring up about this, because we use this as a segue back into the black and white Cinnabon world, is this is very ominous, by the way. We see the open grave. And then mm -hmm. we overlay this image. It's like something out of a David Lynch movie, by the way. I thought, like, <laughs> where did this filmography come from? Exactly, like, right. I mean, interesting to watch, but to me, very out of character yep. with how this show has been shot up until now. Yeah. Um, like to do that type of thing. But so, yes, that was also something that stood out to me. 
And while I appreciate it from a artistic angle, I'm just not sure it fits with what the show has been. I totally agree. I thought it was a beautiful shot. Like I said, I'm a big fan of David Lynch and, and uh, you know, juxtaposing like an, an inner mind space and a physical memory or whatever is very interesting and beautiful, beautifully done. But like you said, mm-hmm. it's like, this is not in the style of the show at all. So, but it was interesting and memorable and maybe a sign of things to come, unfortunately, you know, I mean, even the musical cue, it's not just a visual cue, like the music, it's very ominous there. It really draws yourself, your attention to that grave. And once again, it makes me feel like things are not going to go well for us all here at the end. Mm-hmm. Then we see like kind of a montage of them running these scams. And like I mentioned before, it's interesting. You know, he seems to have really very much picked the like biggest jerk in the world to scam that first time. So awful. That guy was so awful that, you know, in contrast to later in the episode, you couldn't feel bad about it even. He was so terrible. Yeah, because even in the flashbacks, even before he's talking to that guy and we spend some time with the guy who has cancer, I mean, some of these guys are just giving him financial advice. It seems like just people he cozied up to at the bar and they're purely there because, hey, they have money. And I'm like, well, that's like- A different type of thing, morally, right, then. And I think this says something about Saul, by the way, too. I think about what happened with Howard is that he always feels like he's going after these bad guys. That was always kind of the, the cons he ran back in the day. But I feel like at some point he is rationalizing, he's passing a moral judgment that, for example, he cannot pass that moral judgment. And yet he is passing it on somebody else, which I think is Mm -hmm. kind of messed up. By the way, he did receive a swing master earlier in the episode in the black and white world, like him, just another (laughs) motif tying him back to Mm -hmm. Breaking Bad. And the next time we jump back into the Breaking Bad timeline, he is actually using a swing master. (laughs) Yes. Very interesting. Mike has shown in to give him his updates on all of the private investigation work he's been doing for him. I'm not going to talk to you while you're on whatever that is. You know, LBJ used to have his underlings give him reports while he was on the shitter. Uh Uh-huh. Well, either I'm going to leave or I'm going to put my foot in your skull. Fine or I'll put my foot in your skull. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he does his updates. You know, this guy's really, this girl's really cheating on this guy, et cetera, and so forth. This guy's actually a stand-up guy, so you want to keep him on the payroll, et cetera. And then, of course, the thing that he's most interested in is Walter White. What's his deal? And Mike says, you know what? Stay away from him. He's small potatoes. He's an amateur. He's going to end up dead. The guy's small potatoes. Yeah, okay. I hear you. I just, I got a feeling about this. This Heisenberg guy's got something. It's top of the line product. That's the buzz on the street. And I just think with the right management- you know, Years ago, I bought a Betamax. Good product, top of the line. Experts said it was better than a VHS. Turned out to be a complete waste of time and money. Hmm? Let it go. <sighs> Guy with that mustache probably doesn't make a lot of good life choices. <laughs> compares them to Betamax because the Betamax is a better product, but Hey, no one has Betamaxes anymore. And I also like the fact that he says that anyone who has that kind of bad mustache can't be making good life choices, (laughs) (laughs) which is true. That was, I forgot about Walt's terrible, terrible mustache until I saw it here in this episode. (laughs) It's kind of funny to hear this whole interaction. And Saul goes, no, I just feel something about this guy. I think he's got some potential or he's got some, there's there's a, he's got a special something which I think is very important that they are going to parallel this uh, when we get to the end of the episode here. Even though he sees that this guy is 
you know, having uh, he's probably dying of cancer and all these other things, he still is committed to Walt. So we do see this parallel, right? You know, he's discovered Walt has cancer. He kind of suspected it before. Mike has confirmed it now, kind of told him who he was, where he works, et cetera. Saul, for whatever reason, we know is inevitably going to get into business with Walt, Walter White. And there's this parallel, right? Because the most recent guy that he's conning is just another rich guy who seems to actually be a nice guy, but he's also has taking his cancer meds. Yes. By the way, this is Stu from Big Bang Theory. Just FYI. Oh, I, I never. Oh my goodness. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was about <laughs> to say, I've never seen Big Bang Theory, but that's not true. And like, now that you say that I can like suddenly recall him in my mind. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, I think he was the comic book store owner, I think, huh. or manager, whatever. Interesting. So we have this parallel that they, and we do see for a minute, right? It's interesting that Saul has this terrible reaction to what happens uh, with this uh, other guy, um, Jeff's friend, who's, I don't even know his name, but, uh, and I don't even know if it's his brother or not. I think he's just a friend. But anyway, so this Jeff Car- uh, Jeff's um, friend who's been there with the dog along the way, his reaction to him is so interesting because you can see on Saul's face that he does have almost a second guess there when he finds out that this guy has cancer. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, he just pulls the scam as usual, but then he gets a call. He's at home and then he gets that call and he's very angry about this. He goes back to the garage. Carol Burnett is up extra late tonight watching her cat videos. <laughs> she notices some. We market. all know how that happens. You know, time flies by when you this is true. go YouTube. down that YouTube hole. <laughs> yes. YouTube is a rabbit hole. That's for sure. So, yeah, she notices some ruckus in the garage. She sees uh, Saul putting the dog out of getting the dog out of the way so he can have his conversation with the guys and he's basically just infuriated and the guy says i'm not going to scam this guy he had pills on him my dad had those pills this guy's dying of cancer i'm not going to do it i can't i get it you get over it okay please believe me before you know it you forget all about it go look we're doing really well right hear me out okay i mean we're rolling in cash could just let this one go. Not your call. Oh. Yeah, but I, I pulled the tape when I left. The door's locked. We couldn't get back in even if we wanted to. Before you know it, you'll forget all about it, which is exactly what he mm-hmm. said about Howard, which I've obviously, mm-hmm. he's never recovered from Howard either. Mm-hmm. And somehow he's saying it's, it's all, you're just going to get over it. Just, you know, you just kind of keep living your life. And before you know it, it's all forgotten. And the guy just says, nope, I'm not doing it. I'm just putting my foot down. Absolutely not. Right. And the, the crazy thing here is what's the big deal in letting right. it go, right? right? Exactly. Like, it, it just, yeah. it makes no sense. It's so easy to walk away at this point, maybe less than ideal in Jimmy Saul Jean's mind right. to walk away, but Sometimes things don't work out the way you expected and you just, you know, take your loss and go with it. I I don't understand. Like, well, not that I don't understand. Obviously, there's more going on here (laughs) about why he can't let it go. But like, this is a very stark example of what he has become. Yeah. And I think that that's why I wanted to talk to you about this, the whole finale here and the way that paralleling it to his meeting with Walter White, which I'm sure is going to, this paralleling is going to continue to happen in the next episode, I would guess. Because what's so interesting is exactly what you said. Jeff even says it to him. Jeff goes, I'm okay with doing this scam. I'm okay with scamming this guy. I don't have the same qualms that the other guy had. But at the same time, like you said, what's the big deal? Like, let's just- Right. It's not practical. He's taken, as they pointed out, he's taken the tape off the door. Who knows when the barbiturates are going to wear off? Yep. Like there's so many reasons that make this not the right uh, course of action. What? I'm 
down for this, I am. But, uh... But what? What time did the guy take the drugs? We give it to him, what? Three hours ago? I don't even know if he finished it. He might be awake by now. Don't worry about it. Yeah, but... I said don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And that's my last question, because I'm just going to get to the final moments of this episode, and then we can talk about it, because that's the big concern I have for Saul. They don't know if he's going to wake up from these barbiturates. They don't know what's happening uh, you know, with him in that house at that moment. But worse than that is Saul goes in there, tries to jimmy the door with like a credit card or whatever, can't do it. And we cut the end of the episode is him smashing the glass. So mm-hmm. if he wants to do this like to- completely covertly, he's like on a death run right here. It's like, what is he doing? Like, is this just a way to punish himself? Right. Uh, like so self-destructive. Yes. It's, it's crazy. I, I don't understand what his plan is here unless he wants to get caught at some point. Maybe he is just going to keep pushing the boundaries until he's caught. Does he want to get caught? I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's an interesting situation. So I don't know if you saw the scene from next week. Did you see it? I did with the police car, right? Yes. It's just the police yes. car arriving. You can read that a bunch of different ways. Like did an alarm go off when he broke the glass? Mm-hmm. Did the guy like catch Saul in the act? You know, does he wake up? Did Saul potentially, this guy's looks like he's in a really bad way inside the house and he calls the cops to come and like, uh, but then I think we'd probably see an ambulance. I don't know. It doesn't look good. Or, or did the guy rat him out? You know, did that, that other guy. Or did him? Carol Burnett figure out? Oh my goodness. Something. Good point. Because you, we know that her son was in with a bad crowd in yes. Albuquerque and yep. maybe she's like, nope, not on my watch. That's a, <laughs> that's a very good point because she, you know, there's that whole scene where she notices that they're in the garage. Mm-hmm. So what was the purpose of that scene? Very good point. This could be Carol Burnett um, writing him out. But yeah, so I guess that's where I'm curious to get your feedback. First of all, like what you thought about the episode in general, but then beyond that, what do you think they're setting up for? next week. And of course, the psychology of Saul, like, what is he doing here? Like, like you said, he's putting a lot of money away. He's doing the whole stacking the cash in the hole, like uh, and another, uh, you know, reminiscent of what happened in Breaking Bad early on. The Harris is Breaking Bad moment, or, or I guess he's Breaking Bad yet again, I should say. Right. But I think we've seen him do these types of scams for kicks before. Right. And we've seen him do scams in order to get something that he needs or, or wants and thinks he needs. I don't know if we've ever seen him lose sight of rationality right. in this way before and right. make such a bad choice. And in that way, like I know there's a different analogy with the cancer guy and Walt, but right. this also reminded me of Walt in Breaking Bad in that, yes. right, originally yeah. you're doing it for the money, but then right. at some point the, the pride, the power the ego boost, whatever, it start, starts carrying you away from your original goal. And it's just about seeing if you can do it and like getting high off that right. possibility of whether you can do it and accomplishing it. And I'm not sure we've ever seen him make a choice like this before. So in that way, it reminded me of Walt that like lost sight of the original point of the whole thing because it just became so much about being the one who knocks. Yep. I, there's a couple of things that we, as you're talking, that I made me think about. One is that, like you mentioned before, that it's not something we've seen before from his perspective, because we've seen him be very careful and not getting yes. caught in things. But then what it made me think about is, is that what he needed with Kim, right? Because maybe he was always going to basically be an addict, right? Someone who's going to go too far and you know self-destruct at some point. 
And what he needed was some guardrail, and that was Kim, right? And now that he didn't ha- doesn't have her, maybe this is his trajectory. But I also think that maybe this is some kind of self-flatulation, right? Maybe he is intentionally going to push things. He does deep down inside think what he's doing is wrong, and he is punishing himself here, right? Like he's going to allow himself to get caught, for example, or be stupid or, enough to get caught. Yeah. Well, yes. Or so what we've seen in the episode, right, is how he came to get involved with Walt, despite Mike's advice of like, this is a mess, leave it alone. And then this all ends up bringing him to the point he is today in Nebraska, living this Cinnabon life that is so boring and dreary. And maybe like the anger towards Walt that, you know, you're the reason that I have to live like this. You're the reason that I'm here. Right. And finding someone to take that out on that steps yep. into Walt's shoes, right? That yep. like, yep. oh, like at least I can get, you know, my satisfaction of yep. like having the last word and him getting his comeuppance. But like, obviously, as I, I mean, millions of people have cancer. Like there's no <laughs> yeah. um, relationship between this guy and Walt, like <laughs> just aside from the fact they both have cancer. <laughs> right, so, right. I mean, I don't know, but it seems like maybe that's what's going on transference. No, you know what? You have unlocked it, I think, for me. You absolutely have, because that's the other thing I was going to say is, how do we correlate Walt, who's obviously like this drug dealer, and this guy who seems to be like an up and up a business guy who's just trying to do the right thing and, you know, just trying to live his right. life. And we even, we hear him say like, there's a special place in hell for the people that do stuff like Enron and Madoff, yep. like yep. his morals are in the right place. We see that. Right. And that that's what I was going to say is that I think you kind of unlocked that for me where that's what he's doing is he's feeling the sympathy for this guy. He looks at him across the bar. It's the same look he gives Walt inside that car. And maybe he is in a way punishing himself being like, I have shown weakness. He might see it as weakness in the past in this same way. And that's why he's like so dead set on like not cutting this guy slack because it's like last time I cut anybody slack, you know, it burned me. And so that's this anger. But like you said, maybe it's just as basic as he doesn't get to yell at Walt. He doesn't get to punish Walt in some way. Right. This guy is, is going to have to do. <laughs> it's just yes, simple as that, right? This poor person. Yes. This random guy is going to have to do because yes. it's, 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 his, it's his best. It's the only surrogate he has basically, right? I mean, it's like the equivalent of being like, he was six feet tall with brown hair. You're six feet tall with <laughs> exactly. brown hair. It's yeah, going to exactly. have to be you guys. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's really tenuous, but maybe. <laughs> Yeah, it's like that guy who has like a chip on his shoulder and like has to go into a bar and just literally walk up to the biggest guy he can find and just start picking a fight right. with him. And the guy's mm-hmm. like, what's going on? Like, why me? What happens? <laughs> like, do I know you? Why, do, why is this happening? <laughs> yeah. So I think that might be where we leave things. And there's that ominous, you know, police have arrived in the next episode. And what does that mean? It's open to interpretation. I don't know if you have a specific interpretation for for what's going to happen in the next episode, but I'm very excited. I thought this was an incredible episode after the very sedate, very low stakes scam of last week. We have now escalated significantly and we are in a very suspenseful place because now, once again, we are in this unknown country of the future. So we don't know, like, you know, Saul could die now. I really, honestly, I don't think he's going to die, but Something really bad can happen this whole now here at the end. And I really did not believe that just a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. I mean, it definitely feels like something has been set in motion here that could be very bad. Maybe he wants to get arrested so that Kim can bail him out of jail. (laughs) 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 He's like, I'm going to make my one call to Kim and she's going to come save me. 
And that'll be his big test. If she doesn't come, he's going to rot in jail or she's going to come and save him. Maybe that's what he's trying to set up here. Who knows? Who knows? Well, do you think this is the last we see of the Breaking Bad world of Walt and Jesse and Mike? Or do you think we're going to see them again? No, I think something that we're definitely going to see in the next episode is going to be more of this interplay where he's talking to this guy, this random person, and we intercut that with his interactions with Walt. I think that they're definitely not going to just have Walt come in for one scene. They're going to definitely bring Cranston back for more. So I do think they're going to enhance that correlation between the two, that parallel they've set up. I'm pretty sure that's going to be in the next episode. I don't think it's going to be the totality of the next episode, but I do think we're going to see more of that. It's just him arriving at, like we're literally setting up at the end of this episode, him arriving at the the school that that uh, a, a scene mm-hmm, by the way mm-hmm. we see in Breaking Bad right where he shows up at Walt's school and Walt's like how did you know you know how did you find me, uh, so they're queuing up that moment in Breaking Bad, but I think there's going to be more to that. We're going to see more of these kind of missing interactions, and uh, maybe they're going to intercut. You know, like you said, maybe this transference he's done, he's going to be talking to this guy like he's Walt. And this guy's going to be like, what are you talking about? He's <laughs> 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 going to get all his Walt anger out. But um, I am curious to see how that plays out. But I do, in short, I do believe we're going to see more of Walt, at least for one more episode. I mean, we only have two more episodes. That's where we are. I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very excited to see what happens next week. That ends this mm-hmm. episode ends on a cliffhanger, which is kind of rare yes. this show. I guess only last, last time we had a cliffhanger, of course, was Howard getting shot in the head. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, yes. Quite the cliffhanger. So what do you think about the episode in general? Is this a, one of this a, a good one or how do you compare it to next week, last week or, or in general? What was your opinion? I definitely enjoyed this episode. I have some ambivalence about the black and white world, uh, okay. the Cinnabon world. Like honestly, when the episode began and it was in color, I actually noticed I felt like a little bit of relief that I (laughs) thought we were not going to be spending time in the Cinnabon world. And then when it went back to black and white, it was kind of like, uh, okay, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess we have to do this. But I I am interested uh, based on the way that they kind of went back and forth between those two worlds in this episode. I'm interested to see if that's going to carry forward. The thing that I was missing in this episode, even though a lot happened, is that kind of trademark better call Saul tension that they have, you know, right? Where you really Mm -hmm. feel like you're on the edge of your seat of like what's going to happen. And it not necessarily because of anything so dramatic going on. It could just be two people talking to each other, but it's ridiculously tense, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, I guess it was kind of missing that feeling. And I, and I wonder, with only two episodes left, will that feeling return? But you and I have talked about before, like often the penultimate episode yes, yes. Of, a, of a season or series is the one that is really, really great and like does a lot with the plot or the characters or whatever. So I am definitely interested to see whether this mood continues into the penultimate episode or they kind of switch back to that tense feeling. Um, I just don't know what's going to happen. So I'm curious. If I had a total guess, and once again, they can go any way they want with this because, you know, they are at their last two episodes. So, you know, this is kind of, you know, the the last taste, you know, the right uh, aperitif or here at the end. So I guess it's how they want to do it. But if I had to completely guess, I think this is all setting up for right. a very, very tense mm-hmm. episode. But then mm-hmm. I do think the show is probably going to end like on a coda. It's not going to be like an action right. 
finale, I think it's going to be like the show itself, Breaking Bad. Slow burn. Yeah. Yeah. And Breaking Bad had this perfect ending because that's what Breaking Bad was so great at was having this kind of languorous, long, uh, introspective uh, characters, but then those explosions of action. And that's why it was such a perfect ending to that show. But Saul was never that kind of show that, like you said, you have these incredibly tense moments, which I think we will probably have next week. It's much more about the characters. And I do think that that final episode is really going to be very much kind of a coda. And we see where everybody is. Maybe even we have another time jump, like where's everybody in 10 years? Where's everybody in 15 years? Right? Something Wouldn't like that. that be fascinating? I would love and then to they see could that all, actually. Um, and then all the characters, we wouldn't have to worry about having noticed them age. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They'll be appropriately aged. Exactly. Yes. Mike looks the right age now. <laughs> right. Well, Mike's dead, right? <laughs> oh, shoot. I forgot. Okay. Well, Jesse. Spoilers. Spoilers. Jesse. <laughs> yeah, we Jesse. can see Jesse having a margarita. Jesse. Exactly. And Francesca and all the rest of the, the crew, <laughs> the surviving <Yeah>. members. <laughs> Maybe we'll see uh, Skylar. Who knows? <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your uh, quasi vacation. <laughs> yes, exactly. Have vacation, have work. <laughs> yeah. I've have been fun. there. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.